The following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. For advertising information or to find more great podcasts, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com and follow us on Twitter at RealTheUnderdog. are entering the Underdog Sports Fantasy Hour with Josh Dunn and Anchu Kana. You are now in the Underdog Sports Fantasy Hour. I am Josh Dunn. I am joined as always by Anchu Kana. Anchu, we are in the heart of the NBA playoffs and all these series, especially on the East, are looking good. But uh, more importantly, how are you feeling going into this weekend? I'm doing well, buddy. How's it going with you? Yeah, these playoffs have uh, not disappointed yet, as far as I can tell. Yeah, I'm doing well. I'm, I'm excited to jump into these. Uh, you know, we talked a lot of draft on last week's show. We're going to talk a lot of NBA playoffs. Hopefully, uh, you guys had some fun with the NFL draft. I know Anchu and I did. Um, but let's take a look at the NBA playoffs right off the bat. And uh, looking at Bovada Sportsbook, um, some of these lines here, for game three and all of these games are pretty attractive if you're a betting man. And, and obviously looking at the series just kind of from an analytical standpoint, uh, it's been pretty fun so far. But we do have Portland-Denver game two tonight. Denver Denver was able to win game one even after a, another stellar performance by Damian Lillard. He had 39.6 assists in that game. Uh, Nikola Jokic has a huge performance in that one. And Denver's favored by four and a half here tonight in tonight's game. Uh, I think Portland needs to grab game two. Do you think they can, aren't you? Oh, yeah, absolutely they can. We talked a little bit on leftovers about it, but they for sure can do this. Um, but, you know, it's so I feel like after that long break, a lot of times the first game you'll have the team that's played more games come out and look better. You don't see the tiredness seep into later, and I, I think that that's what we might see here as soon as game two, certainly in game three, and then we need to see Portland get back to doing what they were doing. I mean, they need to keep the momentum from that absurd five-game beatdown, really, of the Thunder uh, and keep it going here against the Nuggets. You know, the Nuggets against the Spurs, I think they were really battle-tested. That's a really good defense, very, very well-coached team with Greg Popovich. And to get through that, even with home court advantage and with how successful they were this season, I think, you know, portends well. But I still feel good about Portland. And as we always say, what is it? It's series doesn't start till the home team loses and uh, we haven't seen that yet I think this is a great opportunity for the Blazers to steal one in game two though yeah I think this series uh, more so than anything else in these playoffs could go seven I, I know we've talked a lot about the Eastern Conference I think that Milwaukee Boston series is interesting and we'll get to it but I just think these two teams match up very well they both have good young guards uh, Denver obviously has an excellent big in Jokic, one of the best bigs in the NBA, and, and a great passing big man as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Portland Portland has a lot of different ways they can beat you. And, and Rodney Hood, actually, um, former Cav this year, had a big performance in, uh, in in game one. He had 17 points in that game. Uh, wow. It looked like he finally started to get going. And, and you know, I, just from watching him a lot in Cleveland, He's a guy that when he does kind of find a rhythm, he can he can hurt you a lot of different ways with his athletic ability. But obviously, McCollum and Lillard are, are guys that, you know, once they get hot, and Lillard we've seen it the past few games here in these playoffs, uh, they're really tough to stop. And it's just going to come down to whether or not Denver's defense can hold up. Obviously, they did it in game one, 
Uh, but can they do that for a seven-game series? Or, you know, if this thing even goes five or six, are they going to be able to hold that Portland offense in check? And we know how loud it gets out there in Portland as well. So uh, this this is going to be a fun series. I think it's the one that's gone most under the radar, as we talked about on the leftovers. But uh, to me, this is the one that's the most interesting. And I, I think that line is about right uh, with Denver at, at minus four and a half. But I, I, I agree with you, aren't you? If I'm betting on this game, I'm taking Portland. I think this is going to be a game that's going to come down to the last possession or two because Portland knows, you know, you get down 2-0. Obviously, you go home for two games, but it's still tough to crawl out of a 2-0 hole regardless of whether you're playing at home or not. So I think Portland does kind of, not a must win, but I think I think it's a really important game for them to turn the, the tide of this story, especially uh, looking at the East, which we're going to touch on next. But uh, we'll see. I, I think I think the, the talent's there with Portland, and I, I, I think that they're, they're a team that we they, they've just been so close to getting over that hump for the last few years. Uh, you know, they, they made some big additions close to the trade deadline. They bring in Ennis Cantor later on, who ends up filling the, the void that was left by Yusuf Nurkic. Uh, and it's just going to be interesting to kind of see where this thing where this thing lands for Portland. So uh, I think they do win game two. I, I might bet that money line. I mean, the money line here on Bovada is sitting at plus 145. I don't hate that. Uh, I think that's that's some decent money, some decent return you can get on that game if you think Portland will win game two like I do. Yeah, I, um, I think that makes sense. And then even after that, I'm not sure what the odds will be after this for the Blazers to win this series outright, but I think that that is interesting. Even if they go down 2-0, I wouldn't rule it out. I mean, as you alluded to, Lillard just been absolutely absurd. 34 points per game, that's the second most only to Kevin Durant by .2, and I mean, he's been so good, as you said, and I just feel like, look, he's always awesome, but at home, the rest of that cast steps up, and that makes them so much danger, more dangerous at home. He's also averaging 2.2 steals a game, which is good for fifth in these playoffs. So I know it's a limited sample, and I, I don't love citing numbers with that, how, how short that sample is. But that's, you know, that he, the fact that he's impacting the game on both ends, um, you know, is, is a hugely important piece to this puzzle because Denver's defense, as you also said, is, is playing pretty well. So this is an important game, but I, I don't necessarily know that it's all over if they don't win it. Agreed. Let's move to the East. We promised we would. We've got Toronto and Philadelphia. They're going to play tomorrow on Thursday. Toronto comes in as the road favorite in this one. Uh, they're going to be one and a half point favorites in Philadelphia for the first game in Philly in this series. Uh, if you like Philly, the money line for them is even. Uh, this is going to be a series. Again, we talk about the Eastern Conference and how close these top four teams are. I think Toronto ekes it out on you, but uh, Philadelphia's got the star power and Jimmy Butler came up big in game two. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be really interesting. Toronto has had the best defense by far in these playoffs as far as points per game goes, averaging only 93 points per game given up, and that includes two against these Philadelphia 76ers. So while they did concede a game at home, I do think that they're just way too good. I think that that depth is going to prove itself over the course of the series. I actually, the more I think about it, and especially after going over that Nuggets-Blazers series, which I think is very, very tight, I think that this might be the most lopsided matchup. I mean, I think it's crazy to say, but it's it's it feels that, you know, Toronto is clearly the better team. They go on the road now to face Philly, and I think that their depth and their defense is going to wear down the Sixers. And um, I just think the Sixers are way too volatile. So I like Toronto in six, and I, I really like them in this game too with those points. Yeah, that's a really good word for Philadelphia, volatile. I mean, uh, you, you look at what they did at the trade deadline, adding Tobias Harris. They add Boban Marjanovic. Uh, I mean, these are t- two big additions, and Tobias Harris has been great, but it, it seems like they just have not 
proven to be cohesive yet. They yeah. just haven't gotten to that point. And they, I feel like with the, the stars they have, they, they should figure out a way to be cohesive and they have the talent to compete with Golden State probably more so than any other team. We just haven't seen them look like it yet. There's times Tobias Harris shows like shows up like he's the star of this team. Then obviously Jimmy Butler we talked about in game two. Joel Embiid, when he's not having bowel issues, uh, is obviously the, the leader and star of this team. And then Ben Simmons, you know, he just disappears offensively from time to time like we saw in game two as well. So you just you just don't know which version of this Philadelphia 76ers team. And I think Toronto, a little bit more consistent. Kawhi Leonard is, has been a killer in these playoffs. And I, I agree with you. I think Toronto... I think they definitely get one out of two in Philly, and I, I think they take over this game once it gets back to Toronto. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. And I just, I, you know, it wouldn't shock me if they they go on a run here because even that game they lost, I mean, just an ugly game, and that's kind of what Toronto wants to do. I, I don't think that they walk away from that saying, oh, we're screwed. You know, Nick Nurse's team, is it looks good. Um, they, I think that they are, they're playing pretty sharp on the defensive side, and it's not sexy. It's not going to put up big numbers, but I think that – you know, that what you said, that this team, this Raptors team, totally capitalizes on teams that aren't cohesive, the word you use. So um, I think that this matchup, the more I see, the more I feel better about the Raptors going and, and putting them away. All right. What about your boys, the Milwaukee Bucks? They, they even the series uh, after a great performance yesterday from Chris Middleton. He hit seven threes in that game. Milwaukee ends up uh, winning that one against Boston in blowout fashion. They come in to Boston in game three on Friday. Uh, they're going to be two-point underdogs on the road as far as Bovada is concerned. Uh, I know you love Milwaukee coming into these playoffs. I know you they were your pick to come out of the East. Uh, Boston looked really good in game one, but Kyrie Irving with a horrible performance in game two. Obviously, you don't expect him to play that bad and miss that many shots, but is Boston going to have enough uh, against your Bucks? <laughs> I, you know, it was really interesting because I didn't think Giannis played particularly well in game two either, but he, especially in the first half, but the way that his team picked him up, that is the signature Bucks. And, you know, after game one, Budnolzer and all those guys to a man said, we just got to be ourselves, you know, like we just have to, we're not going to make sweeping changes, even though we got blown out on our home court, you know, that we're just going to stay the course. We have the best player in the league, you know, talent wise. I mean, we, we should be able to get this done. And, you know, the supporting cast really picked up. Giannis, and, and I think that, you know, if Malcolm Brogdon makes a comeback here late in this series, that would be huge for them because, you know, Sterling Brown has given them absolutely nothing, if not negative. And, and I mean, they could really use him. But Eric Bledsoe defensively has been great. He really was good against Kyrie Irving that game. And, um, you know, they just got to hit their threes. I mean, you can't expect seven threes out of Milton and another, what, three or four out of Brooke Lopez. But I do think that, you know, they're they're a really strong group that I think that their pace is going to be a problem for the Celtics over the course of this series, even though the Celtics have a lot of a very deep team, maybe the deepest team in the league, honestly, top to bottom. But, um, you know, I, I just I don't like the matchup for the Boston. And, and I think that even though they're doubling and tripling Giannis, this Bucks team isn't the same as the ones from years past. I just think that they have enough shooters around him to get through this series. So while I don't know that they're going to win game three or four, I, I do think that the Bucks are going to ultimately squeak this one out, although it's, it's a pretty tight series. Yeah, I don't think Marcus Smart is uh, due to come back in this series. I think they, mm -hmm. they said he could be back for the Eastern Conference Finals. But if he did get back a little earlier than expected, who do you Ooh. think makes a bigger impact with a return from injury between Brogdon and Smart? 
Ah, that's a great question. Um, you know, it depends on, I guess, I just think Brogdon as a shooter is so important to them. I mean, Smart comes back, he is such a good defensive player. You could use him on Giannis up top and then run, you know, wear Giannis into the ground by switching off to Horford, who was amazing in game one against Giannis. So, I mean, from that perspective, the more bodies you throw at a great player, the better it is. I mean, you saw that for years with LeBron. I mean, I, I think that, that from that perspective, yeah, there's it definitely helps them probably more than adding Brogdon to the Bucks. But at the same time, Brogdon would be like that. Either of those guys would change the complexion of the series completely as far as matchups go, I think. Yeah, I really hope we get a Milwaukee Bucks, Toronto Raptors, oh. Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah. I, I would say that would be a more exciting Eastern Conference Finals than even the ones I watched with my Cavs playing in it. So, yeah. Yeah. really excited to see that if it if it does come to fruition. But you know, with these, with these two series in this East too, by, by the way. Yeah, he should have stayed. Um, and also, you talked about the Bucks. I mean, we talked. I mentioned uh, Rodney Hood and the success that he had. George Hill also hitting a buzzer beater right mm-hmm. before halftime for the Bucks, and he's he's had some big moments there in Milwaukee. It's good to see some guys that uh, you know are playing in the playoffs that should should have probably stayed on the Cavs if LeBron stayed there. But but obviously with LeBron going to LA and watching the playoffs from his couch, um, they end up playing for other teams here competing. So. It, it's fun to watch, but uh, let's let's finish with the Golden State Houston series. This one goes back to Houston with Golden State up two nothing, and uh, I don't know if you saw uh, James Harden's eyes, mm-hmm. but he got hit in the eye early in the first half of that game, and uh, he was playing with a lacerated eyeball, oh and I, I, that could affect him. I mean, even he was up there shooting free throws, and he he's squinting and not able to to see anything. I don't know how much it affected his game. He did play better in the second half, but. Houston is up against it, my friend. And this Golden State team, we talk about how many ways they can beat you. You know, they did lose Boogie Cousins. The depth isn't there like it has been in the past. But they, they just they just have that that starting lineup is going to be very, very difficult to get in front of. Yeah, we, I mean, we saw how good they looked in game two. They're the full, you know, array of their abilities. And, and again, not even with Steph Curry really doing much. I mean, if you look at the top scoring leaders in these playoffs, Steph is way down the list. He's not even in the top 25. So, you know, he's he's basically been totally neutralized. I mean, he, or he's definitely not been the guy he, he normally is. But in his wake, Kevin Durant has just stepped up and been so good. Um, 34, I'm sorry, Steph's averaging 23. But that's still nothing compared to what he normally does. 34 for Durant. He stepped aside. He's facing, and Durant is just destroying these Rockets in the mid-range game. And, I mean, he's just been... He's been unreal for a great, great, all-time great player. He is. We're watching his absolute peak. So, just tough for me. Even down to even, you know, down to oh, I, I still feel like this has looked uglier than even the series total has looked for the for the Rockets. I know that the refereeing was a little questionable in Game One, but you know, in Game Two they just got blasted. So, especially towards the end. So, um, you know, it'll be different on their home court. But you're right. I mean, how does this eye issue affects Harden is, you know, there are other pieces. Are they going to step up? We saw Eric Gordon have a huge game one. Is, you know, is one of these guys, Capella, Gordon, who's is Chris Paul, who's going to step up in game three, game four? Because they have to go back to Oakland tied at two or else this thing is definitely over. Yeah, and Bovada actually leaning toward Houston winning game three. They've got them as four-point favorites back in Houston. Hmm. Uh, I, it's going to depend. I mean, they do have a three-game break before this next game. They won't play again until Saturday. Obviously, that helps the Rockets trying to get healthy again with uh, with Harden and some others who have been banged up. Uh, this is, I, I, as much as, you know, I just, 
I think it's a must win. I think you have to win game three, and I really think you have to win game three and four if yep. you're Houston. I don't think you can go back to Oracle, uh, you know, down 3-1. I don't see the Warriors blowing a 3-1 lead like we've seen them do once before, but uh, I, I think that uh, I think that if Houston doesn't get both of these games at home, that, that, that'll, that'll be it for Houston this year. And, you know, that might be their, their closing of their window against this Golden State team if Golden State stays intact this offseason. Obviously, we've talked a lot about the fact that they could be breaking up. You know, there's speculation that Durant's going to go and, and start another super team elsewhere. Uh, you know, there's there's been talk about, uh, you know, things not not staying intact in, in the way they are now. But it, it's going to be a fun uh, to see what happens this offseason if they do, uh, you know, if they do end up winning it all again. Because if, if Golden State stays the way they are, uh, I go back to not caring about the NBA. But, no, they're not. Uh, but they but I, will say, I will say the window has closed, though. I, they do not look as dominant as they've looked in years past, mm-hmm. even in these, game, these series against Houston. Houston has not played that well. And they lose by what four and five or six respectively. So uh, Houston can can do it. I think their home crowd should help. Getting healthy should help. They they need this game, and I think that uh, I think they'll rise to the occasion at least in game three. What game four is going to be a tougher call. I'd like to see what happens in three first. Yeah. Same. What what does a Rockets series win look like to you? Like what what things have to happen for Houston to beat Golden State? Either on both. I, I mean. I think Harden has to play better at the beginning of games. Uh, it, for whatever reason, in, in games one and two, it took him a little while to get going. And I, I just I, I don't know that their offense, the way they generally have been running it this year, makes as much sense against Golden State. Because um, Harden, I mean, it's generally just iso ball. Harden's at the top of the key. The other four guys stand around the, the key, and he drives, and sometimes he'll kick. But I feel like you have to get some other players in, involved. And we, we did see it with Eric Gordon in game one of this series. Uh, you know, he has the ability to get hot and shoot. I think Chris Paul needs to be better and, and maybe handle the ball a little bit more. And Clint Capella has really been the guy that needs to get it going. I think his athletic ability on the offensive side of the ball, we saw it with Montrell, Montrell, yes. Montrez Harrell yes. uh, out, out of L.A. I mean, he was Montrez Harrell shot like 80, 85% in that series. Yeah, and, you know, they're able to get two. They're able to get two wins, one of them at Oracle. So I think they need to mirror what Capella can do based off of what Harold did. And I, I think he's a similar type of player. Obviously, uh, Capella's been banged up a little bit this year too, but he needs to get going offensively. And I think they need to change their philosophy. But as far as what they need to do, they need to win the next two games. And I think they need to ride that momentum into Oracle, get game five also. If they could do that, even if it goes seven, I think they have a really good shot. But I think they need to change their philosophy a little bit. I think D'Antoni uh, should recognize the fact that this isolation ball Albeit Harden's getting a lot of points, is not it's not the recipe of beating this team in a seven-game series. No, I agree. I, I think that calling out the the Clippers situation is a great move by you. I mean, a, a great thought process because what they they need to get aggressive defensively, the way that Lou Williams did, the way that you know those other guys did. I mean, they also had Gallinari bombing threes from the corner. He was awesome in that series. But they've got to, you know, they've just got to be more aggressive with the ball handlers of Golden State and make them work, you know? I mean, I know Houston's not super deep, but I think that's the avenue, in addition to what you said, which I thought was a great point, which is, you know, Harden's got to get off the bus shooting and playing well. And, you know, and whatever it takes to get their defense locked down a little bit tighter on the on the perimeter, that's what they've got to do. So, I, I mean, I don't know if that's even remotely possible, but... I think that's that's what it's got to look like. They've got to play much tougher on the perimeter, and I'm just not sure that Chris Paul is equipped to do that anymore, to be honest. 
Yeah, I, I hope he is, but uh, I think you might be right. Um, but a lot of fun basketball yet to be played. Uh, you know, it's that time of year we're enjoying the NBA playoffs, especially this second round. Uh, but one other thing we're enjoying this time of year is Game of Thrones is back. And, you know, the Battle of, Battle of Winterfell, we don't talk a ton of TV show things on this show, but it's become such a pop culture icon as, as Game of Thrones that I feel like it's as relevant to sports fans as sports is. Uh, and we had a, we had a fun watch party on Sunday, watched uh, the Battle of Winterfell, uh, an excellent episode, very suspenseful. We're all on the edge of your, our, our seats, but uh, we do have some fun things here on Bovada. So first of all, Anshu, your reactions to the Battle of Winterfell, and then we're going to go into some things that we have to settle as this series goes on for these last three episodes. Yes. Uh, my thoughts were, you know, I feel like a lot of people online were pretty mad, and I just, I liked it. I mean, I thought it was... It was literally like watching a sporting event. Like I was, my palms were sweating. I mean, it was it was electric. My heart was racing the whole time, sitting there on your couch with uh, some buddies. But that was that was a lot of fun. I thought that you know the Arya thing came out of nowhere. I really did not expect that. And um, you know, I, I just I'm really pumped for what the next three episodes are. I know that some people think that you know we haven't gotten enough of a backstory on the Night King and stuff like that. Dude, there's. There's four and a half hours left of this show. Like, promise you, we will we will learn a lot of, of what's happened. So I think with the proper context, it's going to make that episode all the better. But I really enjoyed it, and um, you know, it was I thought it was electric. Poor you thought. I agree. No, I thought it was good. I I thought uh, they did a good job with with you know the Arya storyline, and I I didn't see this until I took to Twitter, uh, like I often do to get my, my refreshing of storylines from this show. But, you know, going back to season three, uh, where Melisandre is talking to Arya and tells her that uh, she sees, uh, well, I forget exactly how she put it, but she sees evil in those eyes or death in those yeah, eyes or yeah. whatever she like says. She's like, Blue eyes, green eyes. So it's going to be interesting to see if that all comes to fruition with Cersei, which takes us to some of these lines. Mm. Um, so Cersei is the first one they've got here on Bovada and it's when will she perish? Obviously she wasn't even in that episode at all. And one thing in that episode that I just want to point out, that's that scene where Melisandre comes and, uh, lights, light the, the swords on fire, the Dothraki, the Dothraki go into it. And that, that was just such excellent TV. That I mean, that, that was just so good. It's so funny. Um, Cause but like, yeah. you know, sometimes, you know, they try and Game of Thrones does this as much as anyone, but sometimes gore is one thing and it, and it drives on the point, but sometimes you don't need to have a drop of blood spill to get through some kind of horrific stuff. And like to imagine that whole horde going in that excited horde with their now fiery swords going into the, into that night and then not coming out is that was one of the most haunting scenes and just incredibly made. Yeah, it was well done. Um, but yeah, so seriously not in the episode, but, uh, they obviously will be a, a huge storyline going forward. Uh, and they have here on Bovada, will she, when will she perish? Uh, so does not perish is at uh, plus 400 episode three or four plus 550. And they think she's going to die in episode five or six at minus 600. I, I it's going to be interesting to see how the storyline with Cersei plays out. I obviously she's become the villain in this show now, now that the Night King's gone. But do you think that uh, she ends up dying here? And, and if so, where? I do. Um, I think it's going to be episode six. And I know that that's the overwhelming favorite. Um, but I, I feel like that's either you don't bet it or, you know, that that, that just seems pretty clear to me that either she's going to win it or they'll they'll keep her around until episode six. There's just no way they can kill her off this early because then what do the, what, what the last two episodes feel like, right? Like, I mean, is it just 
infighting. No, they, they won't end it that way. So Cersei's making it to at least six. Yeah, I think you're right about that. I think the more important question is how will she die? And they've got that just here as well. Uh, they've got a tie between Arya and Jamie. Interesting. Plus 150 for both of them. Suicide comes in at number three at plus 500. Uh, that sounds like me on a Sunday afternoon during football season. And then Does Not Perish at series end is at plus 600. Tyrion is the dark horse at plus 700. I, I love the Tyrion odds from Bovada there because the the um, I don't think that this uh, theory is out there from the show, but I know that the book said that she will die at the hand of her little brother. That's a prophecy, but it's unclear which little brother will do it. And also, Arya, obviously, we know, puts on other masks all the time. And I wonder if she ends up taking Jamie's. So I'm, I mean, I, I think that Arya is a, a pretty good bet. I, I think any of those are, but if one of those three are going to be it, I'll take the one with the value, and that's Tyrion at plus 700. That would be a fitting end for Cersei. Interesting. I need to nerd out as hard as you have and read these damn books, it seems like. Oh, um, uh, yeah. I what about... <laughs> yeah, that's... Uh, they've got some kind of fun. Who will perish first? They've got Bronn and Varys. Odds are pretty close. They've got Tormund and Brienne of Tarth. Oh. Uh, they've got Tormund as uh, the, the odds-on favorite there. Surprised you uh, made Gilly it this Hot far. What's that? I'm surprised you made it this far. Yeah, I thought Tormund was dead in the Battle of Winterfell. Yeah. I really did. Yeah. And the fact that Sam didn't die. Uh, it's absurd. Jon Snow, Bran, uh, Arya, Sansa, Cersei, and Daenerys. I mean, they've got some fun stuff, so if you have a chance, check these out on Bovada. But uh, was there anything else that you wanted to kind of touch on uh, to wrap up our Game of Thrones talk, at least here halfway through this last season? I just don't think that anyone's dying this next episode. And, and I think, I'm not sure anyone's going to go down at five. I think that you know, the producers have made it clear that, to me, that the third and the sixth were going to be huge. And, I mean, I just, do you agree? I think this next episode is a bridge episode, and then we'll see about five and six. It should be. I, but I, I also am, like, I, I'm anxious to see how they bridge it. And mm. I think that this episode is very important, even though it's not going to have the the death that we, we've come to expect <laughs> from this show in recent episodes. Yeah. I think that it's still going to be a really important and a really uh, a fun episode. But yeah, I, I agree. I think, I think they have to kind of tie the story back together and figure out how these two forces are going to well, obviously one, you know, kind of readjust and, and figure out where they're at because so many died in the battle of Winterfell and then, you know, figure out what's going on with Cersei because she's been kind of out of the picture for an episode or so. So sure. yeah, I think it's fun. Uh, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting. And do we, do we have confirmation that only one dragon survived the battle of Winterfell? We don't. Uh, my guess is we would have seen that if, if there was more than one that died. And that was my theory on if, if there's any, anybody that you think died, I mean, they probably didn't because they would have shown it unless it's like, you know, the, the guys that died, I think we saw basically. And so I think that the same applies for the dragons. Yeah. Okay. Good. Then no one really died. Yeah. So there was just Jorah. There were a few important deaths. I think I, Jorah, Dion, uh, you know, I, I think everybody expected so many deaths. And mm -hmm. I'm kind of, you know, to, to tie the story back together, though, to, to bring Cersei back into the picture, it's probably a good thing that as many of the, the main characters stayed alive that, that did just because it makes it makes for a more interesting last three episodes when I think everybody expected this third episode to be the, the one, the one yes. that was... And, it, and it, it, it very well may go down as, as the one episode, uh, you know, the, the, the end of... 
uh, you know, the White Walkers. But uh, I think that this opens the door to, to still have another banger here at the end. Yeah, oh yeah, no doubt. We're going to get some really good ones. I, I agree. I think the this one, there's going to be a lot because it's still a long episode. But those last two, we're going to see a lot more on the death toll for sure. I think that's safe to say, my friend. All right, let's close it out. We've got the Kentucky Derby this weekend. We don't do a ton of talk about horses on this show, but it is a betting and a gambling show. Uh, so why not talk a little bit about it, Anshu? Who do you have? I'm looking at uh, uh, Bovada right now. Who, who's your, your favorite going in? They've got Omaha Beach as their favorite at plus 300. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the go-to. But generally, I think that one of the things is you're not supposed to bet the favorite, right? I mean, it, it rarely happens that the favorite wins four to one odds, I believe, on Omaha Beach, is, or it was at least at one point. I, I mean, plus 300 right now. Oh, plus 300. All right. So that's, that's coming down. Um, that's interesting. I think that Roadster is one uh, that from the 17 post. That's generally a pretty, uh, pretty good spot to be at. Um, so I, I think one of those two probably. I mean, I guess, I don't know. I, I Hmm. That's this is tough because I literally don't know anything. So I'm gonna go with. Well, that's that's half the fun I think of the of the Kentucky Derby and on horses in general. Yeah, that's what I do. I mean, my strategy is absolutely picking the best name and just kind of looking down the list. And you don't want to go too far down the list because those odds are there for a reason. Uh, But there's some there's some good enough names in the top half of this list i'm looking at maximum security for plus 1000 uh war of will i mean that if that doesn't oh. sound like a winner name i don't know what does that's plus 1600 and by my standards which are very low <laughs> at plus 1800 uh, a pretty solid win 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 plus 1800 you know I, going with a name i think is, is a lot more fun than trying to pick based on the best horse because let's all be honest unless you are breeding horses you don't know a damn thing about no, horse racing and they don't either so yeah no that's it's true i have no freaking clue I guess if I had to pick one, the best name, I like Improbable. I mean, that's just a sweet name given the the actual reality, which is that it's improbable that horse will win. But who knows, man? Like, I mean, I'm going to roll with Improbable. I like it. All right, Anshu, we made it to the end. We're in the heart of the NBA playoffs. We're in the heart of Game of Thrones, about halfway through both, interestingly enough. Funny how these things align before football season comes to greet us again. Yes, sir. Uh, anything you wanted to touch on before we let our listeners get to get back to their Wednesday, get to their weekend? No, sir. Enjoy your mint juleps. It should be a fun weekend. Absolutely. Wear your hats. Drink your juleps. We'll see you guys next week. But for now, our time has come to an end on the Underdog Sports Fantasy Hour. For Anshu Kana, I'm Josh Dunn. We'll see you next week.